0: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the Eagle Moss Shop, home of official Star Trek collectibles available only from Eagle Moss. Use promo code Mission Log for free shipping and 15% off your order of $60. Today at shop.eaglemoss.com USA.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 225, A Fistful of Datas.
2: Well, howdy. Welcome into Mission Log, Roddenberry's Star Trek podcast. I'm the meanest, toughest, rootinest, tootinest, roughest podcaster, whatever slung on the microphone, Kian Ray. And I'm John Champion.
0: Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, sifting through for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode holds up. This week, a fistful of datas, the one where Worf, Troy, and Alexander are trapped in a
2: holodeck, full of data's. You sit tight, little buckaroos. We should have you through this in about an hour, though I reckon it'll feel like four. John's got trivia coming up in just a minute, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss.
0: Now, you have heard us effuse about those wonderful teeny tiny spaceships, (laughs) but Eagle Moss... Eagle Moss makes so much more. Everything that they make is officially authorized by CBS, and they have some items that are exclusive to their store that are not part of the subscription basis. And these are great. We want to talk about three of them real quickly today. Um, first off, the Starship's Shuttlecraft box set. This is a great way for a collector to kind of kickstart a collection for shuttlecraft. You get uh, the Galileo from the original Enterprise. You get a type six from the Enterprise D, a type nine from Voyager and a type 10 from Defiant. Here's what I love about this set. Not only do the shuttlecraft look great, but in each box you have an acutogram that is a schematic of that ship. And it comes with its own display stand. So you kind of put it against the light, you get the backlight, and it, it looks great. It looks like something right off the show.
2: Now, the thing, and I apologize that I am this guy, the one I'm most excited about is the uh, NCC-1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> I thought you'd be excited yeah, no, about that. No E, <laughs> and certainly no J. Um, it's 11-inch, no. it's oversized. And, and so like if you remember like us talking about how much detail there was in the little ships, Now imagine that they've got a bigger canvas on which to play. I mean, this is this thing is like it's heavy. It's well painted. It's got the original deflector dish. It's uh, well, I mean, not the original, not like you know, but it looks like the original one. It doesn't come with (laughs) because there would only be one then. Um, Mm -hmm. And not to uh, not to cross the uh, you know the shows, but I saw this and thought to myself, I'll be in my bunk. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now, and it's absolutely gorgeous. The paint job is incredible. There is so much detail. And like you said, it's, it's heavy. It's got some weight to it. It's yeah. just got a, a really professional feel. And finally, the, it, this is so neat. One of the collectibles that Eagle Moss has made is a set of dedication plaques. So, you know, on every bridge, you've got a dedication plaque, and they make the uh, the original Enterprise, the NCC-1701, uh, the 1701A, Voyager, Defiant, and the Enterprise NX-01. And they're like a little scaled-down replica of what you would see on screen. I love this kind of thing because it's an in-universe collectible. It's not like hanging a picture of the Enterprise on your wall, but you just have this nice brass-looking plaque, yeah. and you get up closer to it. Oh, look, it's the Enterprise.
2: Yeah, it is very in-universe. i got to correct you on one thing, though. It's not scaled down. I mean, if you want to feel oh. like you were the captain of a ship, this is a one-to-one scale thing. I mean, of course, you know, spaceship not included, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean right. they they do look exactly like the uh, like the plaques hanging uh hanging on the various bridges of the shows uh or the uh, various bridges of the ships uh, to which they're dedicated. So uh, like there's all that stuff and of course because you're listening to us talk about it and because they like you and they like us and we like them, uh they got a special deal for people listening today. You can order today for free shipping and 15% off a of purchase of $60 or more. And that's, like, site-wide. Yes, we've been talking about these cool things, but they got a lot more stuff than that. And, you know, they're happy to cut you a deal on a lot of it. So you can uh, get that by taking advantage of the exclusive Mission Log offer uh, for details and to order. Visit shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA. And the promo code is Mission Log. Uh, it's all one word. And what we have here is all caps. I don't know if it's all caps or all lowercase, but, you know, to be safe... Make it all caps, all one word, Mission Log at checkout. And again, that's good for 15% off and free shipping if you buy 60 bucks or more.
0: That's slash USA with the promo code Mission Log. And once again, we sincerely want to thank Eagle Moss for their sponsorship this week.
2: As I mentioned before, John's got trivia coming up in just a bit. But first, I want to tell you how to get in touch with us. I don't know why he's saying that. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And if you think that doesn't happen, listen up later, because seriously, stuff like that does happen. Another thing that happens, though, is trivia. Mr. Champion, am I right?
0: Yes, you are. So trivia for A Fistful of Datas. This episode is written by Brandon Braga and Robert Hewitt wolf from an original story by Wolf. Now, here's what's really interesting about him. This is his very first professionally produced story. He'd been hoofing it in L.A., uh, looking for work, and this one sold. And don't feel bad for him that this is the only one that sold. No, 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 because this led to his career. He almost immediately moved over to Deep Space Nine. He wrote and produced many episodes there. He later did Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda series, as well as Rene Echevarria's The 4400. Now, this was originally titled The Good, the Bad, and the Klingon, and after a number of rewrites, it was Ira Stephen Bear who suggested lifting a bit of the storyline from Rio Bravo to find the central conflict in the Old West. And yes, the title is a play on A Fistful of Dollars, the Sergio Leone film from 1964 starring Clint Eastwood. And it's really kind of the granddaddy of all spaghetti westerns. And spoiler, in that movie, Clint as the stranger has a steel plate that he's using as a shield in one scene. Definitely inspired Worf here. And this episode was directed by Patrick Stewart. Obviously this is an episode with loads of reference to old west films. Notably, he really studied the movie Shane to get some of his shots. And this won an Emmy award for sound mixing in a dramatic series. And you may be asking yourself, why does Lavar Burton have a beard or at least the start of a beard <laughs> and why do we make a big deal of it? Well, yeah, every time he starts to have a beard, I'm asking myself, why right well in this case he was getting married uh Levar, that is not Geordie, and um he wanted to have a beard for his wedding so he's growing one here and that's why they make mention of it let's see we see the return of the resican flute here well the the tin whistle that uh, picard is playing in the beginning and uh the exterior shots were all filmed at universal studios their world famous western backlot very cool location And the story takes place in the holodeck version of Deadwood, which, no, it isn't just a TV show. Deadwood is a town in South Dakota founded in 1876, boomed at first because of the Black Hills Gold Rush. And finally, let's talk about guest stars. Yep, we've got Brian Bonsall back as Alexander, and we do have Brent Spiner beating his former record for multiple characters in a single episode. We have John Piper Ferguson playing Eli. Now, the year after shooting this episode of Next Gen, he would land a recurring role on the short-lived Briscoe County Junior, and he hasn't slowed down since, landing a lot of primarily TV roles. Too many to mention here, but I thought it was cool that he had three different roles in three different versions of the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, then Caprica, then Blood and Chrome. But he came to TNG with some Western bona fides already. He was in Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood in 1992. And more recently, he has appeared on the series Alphas, which is produced by, oh, you guessed it, Robert Hewitt Wolf now, Joy Garrett played Annie Myers. Joy had a career that started out with soap operas and then landed her in a lot of sitcom guest roles later. This is unfortunately her very last credit. She passed away in 1993 at the age of 47. And Jorge Cervera has been performing since the early 1970s, mostly in TV. And here he plays a bandito. And yes, he is in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Three Amigos, playing a bandito.
1: As the ship heads into 48 hours of downtime, it is worth noting... Relaxation on the Enterprise never stays relaxing. Prologue. Being captain of a starship sure can be annoying.
2: The supply ship Bico is supposed to meet the Enterprise, but the supply ship Bico is running late. Two days late. That gives the crew a bit of time to kill. And Jean-Luc Picard wants to kill it on his float. Eh, tin whistle. Whatever. But he's the captain, so everybody's got questions. Geordi and Data want to try running some of the Enterprise systems through Data's head. You know, so it can be a systems backup in case of emergency. Fine. Leave me alone now. Dr. Crusher wants the captain to have a part in the play she's directing. Minor part. Two lines. <laughs> it's not like you're leading man material or anything. I'll think about it. Leave me alone now. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Commander Worf wants to do anything. I may run security drills. I may do a systems check. I may clean out the garage. Picard thinks it sounds like Worf is looking for extra work, and he'll not have it. We have extra time. Go blow it. And Picard goes back to blowing his flute. Tin whistle. Whatever. Back in Worf's quarters, his son Alexander is playing with the world's bulkiest pad. Worf comes back and gives Alexander the news. The captain has seen fit to relieve Worf of his duties. He can go wherever it is Alexander wants him to go. With that, Alexander tells his father to settle up and puts a cowboy hat on the security officer's head. Ooh, I smell a time travel episode. Act 1. Eh, scratch that, it's a holodeck episode. Deadwood. 19th century Earth. The Ancient West. Worf is the sheriff, and Alexander is the deputy. They're in law enforcement. The recreation is great. Old buildings, an old guy sitting on a porch, a... practitioner of the world's oldest profession... The Apple Dumpling Gang could ride through any second. Or Al Swearengin. Whichever. Worf and Alexander hear a gunshot and run to check out the disturbance. In a saloon, the lawmen find Eli Hollander, a.k.a. the Butcher of Bozeman. He's killed 23 men. He's the meanest and toughest gunslinger in the West. It's their job to take Hollander into custody. Which, for Worf, is easy. Because he's a Klingon and this program was written by a six-year-old. And Lieutenant Berkeley. And now the six-year-old is annoyed. Apprehending Hollander was too easy. So they increase the difficulty level. Take two. Entering a saloon, the two lawmen find Eli Hollander, a.k.a. the Butcher of Bozeman. He's killed 23 men. He's the meanest and toughest gunslinger in the West. It's their job to take Hollander into custody, which is more difficult this time. But Wharf is still a Klingon, and this program was still written by a six-year-old. and Barkley. Also, they have help this time. A mysterious stranger shoots the hat off Hollander's head. It's Counselor Troy. Alexander invited her along since she likes westerns. Now, while all of this is happening on the holodeck, Jordy and Data have been working away in engineering. Jordy's plugging various enterprise systems into Data's head. Everything seems to be going fine until Data experiences a slight power surge in his neural net. He's okay but to be safe, he disconnects from the Enterprise computer. They decide to run a few tests, but as they walk away, Data takes his diagnostic tool and holsters it. Gunslinger style. Sadly, nobody sees this trick. Act 2. Sheriff Worf and Deputy Alexander have Eli Hollander in the pokey, but Hollander's talking tough. When his paw gets there, it's curtains for the Klingon. Durango agrees. Sheriff Worf is no match for the Hollanders. Also, Counselor Troy is Durango. She says she was just passing through and has no interest in fighting the Hollanders. But she'll help the sheriff. For $500. Worf sends Alexander off to the bank to make a withdrawal. On the Enterprise, things involving the computer are getting weird. Picard is trying to listen back to the recordings he made earlier playing his flute, tin whistle, whatever. But the computer plays back as glitchy at first... Then it's just a cacophony. Rehearsal for Dr. Crusher's play isn't going much better. The script seems to have been replaced on all of the pads by Data's epic, Ode to Spot. In engineering, Geordie has taken apart the pads being used in rehearsal. They're all working fine. Rather, it's the information retrieval net that's on the fritz. Information's being corrupted at the source. You know, the ship's computer. The one that was plugged into Data's head earlier... The android thinks the two things might be related. Back on the holodeck, Deputy Alexander is headed back to the jail with Durango's $500 when he's snatched to one of Eli Hollander's cohorts, and they've taken him to Eli's dad, Frank Hollander. Frank Hollander, who looks exactly like Data. This isn't the way things are supposed to be going. Alexander tells the computer to freeze program, but it doesn't work. So lots of things aren't going the way they're supposed to. Act 3. Data's having some trouble with spot. He's also having trouble with syntax. Phrases and accents from the ancient West are working their way into his speech. Of course, he's talking to a cat, so nobody's picked up on the problem yet. On the holodeck, Worf's back in the saloon, asking Miss Annie if she's seen Alexander. Miss Annie's not terribly interested in talking to Worf, though. He spurned her romantic advances in Act 2. Worf's got bigger problems than that. Frank Hollander just walked in, and he wants his boy. Assuming this is Data taking a part, Worf's back to playing the game. Eli will stand trial for murder. Frank offers Worf a trade. His son for Worf's deputy, Alexander. Worf takes a hard line. He does not negotiate with criminals. As he tries to move past Hollander, Owie! Ow! Ow! Mandata's grip is strong. Only Data's not breaking character at all. Worf calls for the computer to freeze program, but nothing happens. Or, really, stuff keeps happening. And, like Lucky Day facing El Guapo, Worf realizes, yeah, he's in real danger. Hollander's henchmen start shooting at Worf as he makes a break for it. In the jail, Durango is practicing her quick draw, though she's a lot less Durango and a lot more Troy when she sees that Worf has been straight-up shot. Worf says the holodeck safety protocols are off, and Alexander is in danger. Yes, things are malfunctioning, though the extent of the malfunctions only becomes clear when Eli Hollander starts looking a whole lot like Data. Act 4. Eli Data is getting under Worf's skin, though Troy takes a sensible stance. Despite the malfunctions, they're still part of a program. Play the game to its predetermined end, and the program will terminate. Worf agrees. He goes to ask the town folk what they've seen and what they know. On the Enterprise, Geordi and Data tell Picard that all the weirdness on the ship... Yeah, that's the experiment they were running. Routing Enterprise systems through Data's head. They should have it fixed, though. Data says he reckons it will take a couple of hours. Yes, he said reckon. He also said y'all. Finally, others are seeing the ancient West seep into the 24th century android. Back in Deadwood, Troy is waiting for Worf to return when she sees something disturbing in the jail cell. Eli Data is shuffling a deck of cards, but he's doing it with the speed of the android Data. When Worf returns, Troy tells him what she's seen. Eli doesn't just look like Data, he's apparently got Data's abilities. Which means Frank Hollander probably does too. A knock at the door and, oh, there's Frank now! After a quick talk with Eli, Frank offers a trade, his son, for Worf's deputy. This time Worf agrees. They'll make the exchange in the middle of town, in two hours. Of course, Troy knows that Frank's lying. Despite their honorable agreement, Troy tells Worf that Frank, with the speed and accuracy of data, will try to kill Worf at the exchange. Act 5. Work progresses in engineering, correcting the memory corruptions in both the ship's systems and data should take another hour or two. Back in Deadwood, Troy and Worf are laying out a plan for the exchange, where they'll position themselves, how they'll get Alexander to safety once stuff pops off. Miss Annie has softened a bit on Wharf. She's secured the parts he needs to do... something. Maybe we'll find out later. Time now for the exchange. Worf sends Eli toward his paw, while Frank sends Alexander towards his. And, just as Troy predicted, that no-good two-face Hollander throws down on Worf. He and his henchmen, every one of whom is now a version of Data, start firing. But the bullets don't hit Worf. He's used the equipment secured by Miss Annie and his communicator badge to build a personal force field. Frank uses all of his bullets, though just as Worf's shield dies, Frank has tossed another gun. But Worf shoots that gun out of Frank's hand. Defenseless, Frank expects Worf to shoot him. But looking over at Alexander, Worf can't do it. Instead, he tells Frank to never show his face in town again. The bad guy's beaten, Worf's reunited with Alexander, but the program doesn't end. Not until Miss Annie has a chance to snuggle up to the sheriff. Back on the Enterprise, everything's fine. The Bico's there. Yay! In their quarters Alexander says he figures Worf will never want to visit the ancient west again Worf considers and tells his son that Deadwood may face danger once again if they do they will need a sheriff and a deputy the end let me stop you right there John Uh, (laughs) sorry Uh, I know mm -hmm. I usually I usually give you a little bit of a chance to say something here but I have to jump on this right now Okay. Y'all is a contraction. Y- yes. Yes it is. For for you all, right? Yeah, and I can't remember uh, who said y'all in this episode. I can't remember who was it that said y'all. Was it was it Picard who said y'all? No, I don't think it was. No, no. Was it Worf who said y'all? No. No. No, I believe it was Data. Oh. Data yeah. who cannot say a contraction. Yeah. Right? Well and yet there he is saying y'all to everybody. You know, uh,
0: a power surge will do amazing things.
2: I'm just saying, the yeah. next order out of Picard's mouth should be, say can't. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much.
0: By the way, I I don't know if Worf could actually ask his captain to command him to not spend any time with his son. I don't <laughs> know how that works. I mean, I know he was angling for that. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not sure how that – but, you know, he's trying.
2: He's trying. It's very strange. Well, I mean, I guess the reason he was asking Picard's permission was because it was going to involve other people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody goes and talks to him. Worf seriously could have just, like, you know, gone somewhere else. Lied to his son, as he did – you know, as it's implied he did before the show started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And said, no, I have too much work to do. I'm going to be busy. You stay here in your quarters or our quarters or the quarters – And then you can just go to the Arboretum. People love the Arboretum, John. People love the Arboretum. They do. Yeah, I'd imagine it's even true for Klingons. I got a question about Mm -hmm. uh, Alexander and his toys. Um, Mm -hmm. Remember last week how Alexander was playing with the world's largest remote-control car? Huge. Yeah, this week it's the world's bulkiest pad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like a speak-and-spell would look at that thing and say, I know I'm clunky, but holy cow. Uh, C O W cow. Yeah, speaking of spell <laughs> right. words, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it struck me as very uh, sort of uh, backwards looking. Unless his mm-hmm. pad is in an OtterBox, that mm. could I be childproof. It's child that's, proof. That's possible. Yeah, yeah they're they're ugly, but they work. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the fact that we got to see the inside of pads.
0: I like that too. And did you notice that there was a little uh, like an Isolinear chip
2: in there? I did. Yeah, I, did. I thought
0: that was neat. Yeah.
2: You know what it reminded me of, honestly. Mm. It reminded me, and what's weird is we talk about this now as if it's an amazing thing because I, I know I have an iPhone. I know I have an iPad. I know there mm. are tablets of all sorts. I know that you can get a tablet. It's probably a horrible tablet laden with viruses already that you don't want, <laughs> but you can get a tablet for as little as like 99 bucks or less, right? Right. I was reminded, honestly, in the shot of the back of the pad um, of that shot that I love so much in the cage. When we just take that long shot at the communicator. Oh yeah, right. When they're showing us, hey, there are no wires here, and yet he's able to talk, and you know, they're connected by this mm-hmm. by this little tiny thing. Uh, the back of that pad has parts that I recognize, and I don't recognize it as like mm. you know. I I can tell you exactly what that does. And I can tell you exactly what that does. But my dad used to work in computers, and so you know, I've seen circuit boards and microchips and you know all that stuff. And mm-hmm. and so it's neat to to sort of say. I know it wasn't intentional. It was nothing like the shot in the cage, except it's like, hey, well, so there's an idea and there are those parts that I recognize. And we're we're actually on our way to a lot of this stuff that they have. Yeah. And that to me was kind of neat. Yeah. no, I did like that quite a lot. Yeah. another other thing I like was the fact that this episode is pretty much a callback a go go. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So you got the flute. Yeah, or the tin whistle. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah,
2: whichever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, from from the inner light. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh You have ode to spot from Skulms.
0: Uh, yeah, or um, Right. Right. <laughs> right. Which
2: is which is neat, and uh, of course Alexander's uh, could call back to uh, you know a bunch of stuff. I guess right. he's really just a character, but but I realize I said it's called back a go go, and I've actually only got two examples.
0: Well, <laughs> so, I, you actually you have a reference to Bozeman again, mm-hmm. and remember, you know Brandon Braga will drop in oh, Bozeman right. wherever he can. Yeah, so that there's a. I'll
2: bet if he could, he would drop in Bozeman forty seven times.
0: I, I, yes, I bet he would, and yeah. and yes, we have forty seven in this episode too. Hey, I, I understand that calling the old west the ancient west is is sort of funny for the episode because they're in the future but we're not and we refer to it as the old west but in 400 years they'll call it the ancient west but do we <laughs> refer to elizabethan england as say ancient europe
2: okay well here's what's interesting because you mm-hmm. pose that question and yeah. elizabeth elizabethan england is i believe not quite as long ago now as the old west is from this episode
0: well, not by much though, because No, not it, by much,
2: that's true. Yeah, yeah, her
0: her reign started in the middle of the 16th century.
2: So, right. yeah, we're you know, maybe But we're at the beginning of the 21st century. So, given that 40 are. or 50 years and we may
0: We're, we're <laughs> going to call that ancient Europe, yes. <laughs> yeah, All I right. guess there's a time. You
2: see, uh, the other thing I was thinking about actually is so there's like a world war and stuff, right? Yeah. uh coming up in the Federation time right? Flight. I'm not saying here, although, yeah, you know, no, who all. can say? Yeah. Um, yeah. In the Federation timeline, though, we know that there's a world war coming up. So, like, the Trans-America building right now and the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, mm-hmm. 200 years from now, that might be considered the Old West. Mm, yeah. And so then they're like, oh, wait a minute. We already have an Old West. Well, no, that's a really Old West. Well, we can't call it the really Old West, can we? Because that's just... Well, they yeah, could. Ancient West, maybe. Well, I guess. Yeah. yeah, they could.
0: A really uh, touching moment for Jordy to say to data you're not just another electronic system and for data to say back and you're not just another biological organism that should really we should do a line of valentine cards um and so you know in addition to our t-shirts and everything else and i I think that would really be touching
2: i don't know actually if anybody has printed real cards but i know i have seen online the um Mm -hmm. my neural pathways are
0: oh yeah accustomed to your sensory input or yeah yes
2: yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. So it might have been done. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying. It might have been done.
0: Um, thank goodness that it, this episode finally reveals uh, what Reg Barclay does in the holodeck. Else we would have had no clue otherwise uh, where he yeah. was spending his time and how he was spending his time.
2: Yeah, I kind of hate the fact that, um, that Reg is made fun of even when Dwight Schultz isn't there. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, I'll have to have a talk with Commander Barkley mm-hmm. like, or Lieutenant Barkley. Excuse me. Because, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what's Alexander doing hanging out with Barkley anyway? I
0: just, uh, there's some questions that are be- better left unanswered. I and, guess so. Um, yeah.
2: I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I know it's a, it, it's a thing that happens, but I still loved it. It was especially effective, I think, when he's like picking up Hollander. When mm-hmm. Worf is in the saloon and he picks up Eli Hollander, he's going to haul him off to the Pokey, to the Hooskow. Mm-hmm. To the, to the, to the steel bar hotel. <laughs> right. <laughs> I yeah. love the And, and when, uh, when uh, Alexander says freeze program and then uh, Wharf walks away from Hollander and he's still suspended there as if he's still being held up. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a simple freeze thing. It's, it, there's something about it that really, I liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot.
0: That was effective, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's also possible that I was looking for things to like a lot in this episode. Spoiler. (laughs) Right. Uh, I did have another question, though. Uh, So they say, so these malfunctions, what Mm -hmm. do they affect? And Jordy's like, ah, you know, uh, stupid things. like uh, music, (laughs) Just secondary. And the the library and uh, the holodeck. And I'm thinking, really, shouldn't somebody have checked the holodeck at that point? You know, what would the holodeck's tendency to nearly kill people who use it for anything besides... um, watching classical music videos.
0: Yes. So, yeah, I kind of wondered the same thing. At some point, you would think that others would ask, hey, where's Worf, and <laughs> where's Troy? Like, at some point, they would just, they yeah. would want to know that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little conspicuous that, that that never happens. And by the way, why are there safety protocols that can be overridden? I, I think we had a listener ask that, and it you know really came to light for this seriously. You can make this thing kill you about a hundred different ways
2: don 't you have to be of a certain level though to raise the level to the point that it 's going to kill you? I mean, like Alexander raised the difficulty level, but he only raised it till four i think, mm-hmm. I want to say that in the past when they 've taken off the 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 safety fail safes or whatever, which mm-hmm. is redundant, so I know that 's not right, but when they 've taken off those fail safes they 've like had to do like a big override thing i I was under the impression that. All Alexander did was make the game a little bit more difficult, but it was actually the malfunction that, that took away the mortality failsafe.
0: Right. It, yes, the, the malfunction took that away. Mm-hmm. But, but again, there is a thing there to be taken away.
2: Ah, good point, that. <laughs> so, yes.
0: you know, that, that's kind of the wit. So, like, let's say, Ken, that um, you and I were to go uh, play paintball. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because that's the thing that people do. I,
2: I hear that. Yeah, we
0: don't. But that's the thing that people do, you know. But you and I were to go play paintball and we and we put on the gear and we get the paintball guns and then we run around in the woods and we shoot each other with with paintball guns. And, and yeah. that hurts right. when you get hit with one. Yeah. But nothing's going to come from it. Right. Now, right. let's just say that we're like, we have the option to do away with the safety <laughs> protocol and just get real guns with real bullets. <laughs> Right. See, you know, see we could not do that, right? You know. So there's yeah, another but,
2: team and mm-hmm. they probably have paintball guns too. Mm-hmm. But they may have guns. Oh, right. 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 Yeah, I don't think exactly. I don't think I would play at that point. You make a good point. Yeah, yeah. I
0: I don't think I would either. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah. Let's uh, let's change subjects very uh, quickly here. The uh, the play rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've been in a play or two in my life, and I just thought, wow, these are the most unprepared actors I have ever seen. <laughs> did did Riker not read the script at all? Because I thought we were actually coming in in the middle of rehearsal where they had actually been rehearsing before. Yeah, and. Did he just not see that the words had changed and he just started reading and not immediately say, hey, this is not the script? Will he just literally read anything on the pad in front of him? (laughs) I'm Ron Burgundy. (laughs) You know, that's.
2: He might. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got got a few things to say there. First of all, you're right. It did Mm -hmm. seem like we came in on the middle of rehearsal because uh, Gates McFadden is like ready to quit. Yeah. Like her body language is I'm already done with these people. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, well, may be her fault because she's apparently trying to put together a play in two days. Uh, <sighs> the other thing is, I've also been in a play or two, braggart, so don't even. I was Santa Claus in <laughs> second grade. Ooh. And I was uh, John Robertson, founder of Nashville in the fourth grade. So wow. stick it. Yeah. 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 You're, you're not the That's only good. actor here. Um, <laughs> speaking of acting, I love uh, Picard's run at False Modesty. Oh, I'm, I'm oh, yeah. really not much of an actor. You know, it's great, honestly, because he seems to be looking for praise, and that's just yeah. not going to happen. And Beverly's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't really have to be an actor. I mean, it's like two lines, dude. Seriously, you think I'd cast you in something real? <laughs> no, I mean, not to make much more of that whole thing. Although, again, yeah. there's not a lot of um, there, here. Maybe there's not a lot of here, here, or here, there mm-hmm. in this episode. Right. Uh, so every little thing might be a major point of discussion. I do find it interesting that... Um, the man who leads a ship of over a thousand people mm-hmm. uh, would be perfect to play the butler mm. in her estimation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and yeah. you know, it sort of started making me think about, you know, what does it mean to be in command and what does it mean to command all these people? Because he's got all the rules from above and then he's got all the people he's got to please below. And I thought, oh, that could actually be a topic. But yeah, and then I got bored thinking about it.
0: <laughs> Wait, actually, we, we know that um, data would be perfect to play the butler in anything. If you're going to go with anybody to play the butler, it really should be data. Hey, uh, our listener, Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, has some wise words of advice for Geordie or really anybody aboard the enterprise in any sort of technical capacity. Um, pay attention to your system software testing processes and keep your experimental testing isolated from your operational systems. I think, really, that says it all.
2: And I think... Nerd!
1: I hate to be that computer, but... Alexander says, saddle up, father, and proceeds to take ward to a simulation with zero horses...
2: So, remember last segment how I said this is a small thing and I'm not sure it's worthy of uh, discussion as like a major topic? Mm-hmm. Got another one. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, in this episode, mm-hmm. um, Troy says, so uh, we're in a holodeck program and I know things are malfunctioning, but it's still just a program. So, all we have to do is, is run the program to the end and, and, the, and the program should end. Mm-hmm. And so, you think, okay, well, so then all I has to do is, uh, you know, beat Frank Hollander and, uh, and the program ends, and it doesn't. Oh, well, okay, well, he does have to be reunited with his deputy. Oh, well, no, that wasn't it either. Why is it still going? It turns out what Worf had to do was accept love. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna. And then I yeah. had to. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it actually ends. And let's think about this just for a second. I know this is crazy, but again, mm-hmm. very little to hold on to in this episode. So yeah. I'm, I'm, like, grabbing at straws, dude. Okay. Barkley and Alexander wrote the end of the program to be, he needs a hug. Wow. And he has to take the hug. He has to accept appreciation. He has to accept um, affection. Mm-hmm. He has to accept somebody else loving him before wow. he's able to end the game. Hmm. If if I didn't like my microphone so much, I would drop it right now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um so you think alexander came up with that all by himself huh no i think it was barkley okay all right no i think it was probably
2: some science fiction writer who thought it would be kind of funny wouldn't it yeah but again there's not much to go on here and i did actually find myself wondering so somewhere along the way somebody decided that that that's how that's the only way the program ends is is with the with the young woman going or a middle-aged woman going my hero and right. Worf having to stand there for it. It's not like "thank you, masked man." You know
0: where he writes off before that. anybody
2: can say thank you. You know the reason he doesn't do that, right? Never mind. <laughs> we can't get into it here. Kids do not <laughs> nope. ask your parents. Just nope. don't ask your parents. No, no. Nope. That. Nope. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that's interesting views. Yes, uh, first of all, Worf needs to accept love. I, I think we all know that. He also needs to give love in order to get love. Um, yeah. But I, I go back to the, the presupposition though that i think that um you know troy may not actually know that the game will end when they play it out because remember this is a power surge this messed up everything you've got all these multiple datas in the holodeck mm-hmm. you've things are haywire there may be new rules to that game maybe so the the new rules might be that Worf accepts love And by the way, a hundred more Datas show up and try to
2: kill him along with Moriarty. (laughs) It goes from being a fistful of Datas to uh, one of the Matrix movies. What Mm -hmm. was the one where all the Agent Smiths showed up? Mm -hmm. It was one of of the ones that's not nearly as enjoyable as the first one. I know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of a weird topic, um, but something in the episode really struck me. Hmm. All right. When you're a kid. And mm-hmm. you're playing something, cowboys, astronauts, orthopedic surgeons, whatever you played as a kid. So, do you picture yourself as an adult in an adult world or as a kid in an adult world? Hmm. So, think about it Alexander is little, like he's a little guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone around him in the holodeck is huge. Is that how a kid would have that fantasy? would want to play that game. Now, I know it's not germane to the story, but it got me thinking for some reason, um, because maybe if I were a kid in that hyper real adult world and getting kidnapped and stuff like that, I would probably be terrified and not want the game to continue at all. Which I I know that there are many points that they tried to stop the game, but even just starting that game, I I really wondered. If you were, you know, an eight-year-old, and you're alexander's size and you can set up this fantasy world to look and behave however it is that you want it to look and behave is everybody around you you know three times your size and could physically crush you
2: well except they can't physically crush you because you're in the holodeck and there are mortality fail-safes sure sure i mean it, if you're making up i mean i don't remember honestly i think what I'm trying to think of is what did I want to be when I grew up, when I was a little kid. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. Podcaster was not on the list. Really? I never thought it's I'd so make weird. it as a podcaster when I was eight. Yeah, it's kind huh. of amazing. Huh. Um, I wanted to be a weatherman, and mm-hmm. I wanted to be an astronaut, because mm-hmm. what kid didn't want to be an astronaut in the 70s? Of course, yeah. Um, I don't remember thinking to myself, I want to be a kid astronaut. But, I mean, obviously, I pictured myself as an astronaut. I couldn't picture myself as a grown-up. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, it's been too long since I was a little kid. I, I don't think, though... I think a kid would emulate, the thing that's harder for me to see is why Alexander would want to be in the Old West. I think a kid would sort of emulate a version of what they see, right? Right. Right. Be that, like like maybe if, I don't know, maybe if the Avenger movies were hugely popular in the 24th century, then maybe he would want to be a superhero. Mm. But I don't think he would picture like a kid version of the superhero or even one where he's gigantic. I think he would Mm. just sort of put himself in that situation. But I don't know, because again, I'm not six or 10 or however old he's supposed to be this week.
0: Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) And he might actually do a Barclay-type thing, which is to have a bridge that you can go on and you can give commands and you can pretend like you're the commander of the Enterprise. But we've done that. We've already seen that happen. So probably don't want to play that through again. I don't know. I was reminded of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, and we were talking about – We were talking about how in cartoons and TV shows, when they have kid characters, and very often those kid characters don't work, and particularly in cartoons, and he was saying, like, no, 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 look, a kid on Saturday morning, they they should want to sit down and just watch adults being awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't want to see kids getting like dragged along and not being good at stuff. Or they just want to sit down and see adults doing things that are awesome that then they mm-hmm. can aspire to do one day. And I, I, I kind of get that. But then I watched this and I was like, huh, th- this kid is really in the
2: thick of it. Well, you say that that's what kids want, though. And I'm thinking Johnny Quest keeps coming back as a thing.
0: I, right? I, I think that's a, that is sort of a, a rare exception.
2: Well you know? okay, so how old are the kids from uh Scooby Doo? I was never really clear how old they're supposed to be. They're relatively young though. It's not like Fred's thirty five driving around the mystery machine. Y-
0: you don't know. He might be thirty five. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I hope not. That's because that's a whole other somebody's gonna have to do paperwork. I always assumed that Shaggy was the oldest person there but oh know, really that's for wow. our scooby-doo podcast which i think comes after our best of the west podcast which i'm pretty sure it yep. comes after our moonlighting podcast mm-hmm. which super train is, yep. uh, super train someplace in there and of course Colchak the night stalker yeah um yeah i don't know i don't know because yeah. now i want to argue the cartoon thing but that's not what we're talking <laughs> about my assumption is that alexander would just want to be in the old west i don't think he would want to be in a kid version of the old west yeah he just wants to be i mean it's, yeah. it's kind of a kid version of the old west though because Warps like we need money. And Alexander's like, I'll go get $500 out of the bank. Okay. Right.
0: Because he could just do that. Yeah.
2: That's, that's very much a kid version of the Old West. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, right. So maybe he is doing that, John.
0: All right. I also thought a little bit about Westworld in this episode. I, the new one or the old one. Either way, take your pick. Um, mm-hmm. I know that this episode is a lighthearted romp. But does anyone ever worry about going into a simulation where you're shooting people? You know, in, yeah. in the new one, they they put a very fine point on it. And one of the recurring phrases is these violent delights have violent ends. Mm-hmm. So is there a debate about holodecks in the 24th century the way that we've had debates about violent video games in the 20th and 21st century or or violent imagery in movies or TV? I just feel like that's kind of an ongoing discussion that we have about media and artistic expression and that age-old debate of, well, are we simply reflecting what's going on in the world, or does that art have some influence on the world as well? The holodeck raises a really interesting and and problematic version of that, where you can absolutely lose yourself in that fantasy, in that story. We We've seen that with Barclay, mm-hmm. but Barclay wasn't just, you know, what we've seen of him, he wasn't going around entering to, uh, you know, horrifically violent uh, actions. Now, Worf, Worf's is a little bit different because, remember, he does his calisthenics and he goes in there to fight Skeletor every now and then. But, <laughs> right. but that's that's a specific training thing. Um, as opposed well, to just why well, I'm going to go. Well, yeah, I mean,
2: it's a specific sure. training thing. But I mean, he, you know, no other person does calisthenics by fighting Skeletor, except maybe He-Man. But, I mean, that's yeah, it, good, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You I could. mean,
2: so you say, well, it's just a training thing, but that's just what he's calling it, right? Yeah. Why do you play all the games where you shoot 20 people every minute? Oh, let's see. I'm practicing my reflexes. Well, okay. Yeah. Or you're shooting 20 people <laughs> right. like every minute. Right. You know? I mean, it's... Uh, which I'm not saying... I mean, uh, there have been, you know... Uh, yes, there have been studies that say that violent video games lead to violence. There have been other studies that say, no, they don't. So, right. I mean, I don't think we can solve this uh, this question here. No, Um, no, not at all. And not by the 24th century either. Here's the thing, though. I mean, we can't by the 24th century. Hopefully people will. Hopefully, yeah. That's above my pay grade. Plus, I'll be dead. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'll be a brain in a jar. (laughs) Anyway, Um, here's the thing, though. You could argue that they do answer this question here. Hmm. Worf wants to be a good example for Alexander. So at the end of it, he doesn't shoot Frank. Frank fully expects it. And in Old West parlance, Frank certainly deserves it. Sure. Right? I mean, well, I don't want to say the name of any movie. But, I mean, there have been plenty of times where the guy who, if not the hero, at the very least the protagonist, does kill the bad guy. And we're like, yeah, good, because that's how that works. You know, Old West, Old West, Old West. I did wonder, though, still, even though he didn't kill him, and that's definitely a good thing to model for Alexander, Uh, Even though he didn't kill him, did he do the right thing by just letting Hollander go? They're lawmen, right?
1: Hmm, And they've talked about
2: a system of jurisprudence, and they've talked about, we've got a jail, and we can hold him here, and then a judge will come by, and then... In tombstone fashion, he may say, well, there's no witness, so there's no crime, case dismissed. But yep. it seems more likely that, you know, they would play the whole thing out. Now, that's, that's a long holodeck program. He's just going to wait two weeks for Judge Spicer to come by and, you know, uh, count. Oh, Defoli. that would be
0: hilarious, though, and it's a great <sighs> lesson for Alexander that <laughs> actions have consequences.
2: That actions have consequences, yeah, and that, the, yeah. And that the, uh, the wheels of God grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, see, you think games are fun, but you got to read the rules, son.
0: Yeah. Sorry, kid. You got to commit now. Yeah. It might've been a half hour romp in the holodeck, but (laughs) now you got to go back. You have to watch them pick a jury. What was uh, wrong
2: with puppies? I'm asking what was wrong with puppies? (laughs) We could have done that and been done because puppies are disposable on the enterprise. Don't tell anybody. No. Um, Okay. But really though, did he set a good example for Alexander by saying, get out of here and don't show your face around here anymore. Or is that just are we then again just doing the parlance of the old west thing? I think we're just doing the old west.
0: I, I think right. that's it. There, there is there no example because how many great examples has Worf set for Alexander? Really?
2: Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're here. Let's let's have you go visit your grandparents for um ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look,
0: good. I've I've got some work to do. Uh, it's going <laughs> to take me about. 10 years.
2: Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should actually, I thought about starting with this, but it's too much of a downer. So let's end on a down note instead. Mm-hmm. Worf is a horrible father at the beginning of this episode. He's an absolutely horrible the father. Worst. Okay, so yeah. here's the thing. He goes to the captain. And he says to the captain, uh, I'm going to do this work. And the captain's like, ah, just, you know, play around for a while. Just do something. Have fun. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back to Worf. Uh, he goes back to Alexander. Excuse me. And Alexander says, what did he say? Okay, so the implication is that Worf said to Alexander at some point, I probably won't be able to go to the holodeck because I think the captain has stuff for me to do. I'm going to go ask the captain. And then what Worf went and did was made a pile of work for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then the captain was like, you know, just leave it. Just go have fun. And then he has to go back to his son who says, Oh, did he give you permission to do the thing with me that you were going to go ask him whether or not we could do it? (laughs) Right? And works like, yeah, he, he, he gave me the time off so w- we can go play. Yay.
0: <laughs> yep. Yay.
1: With data and data and, data and data and data and data and data and data and data dealt with, it is time to assess the worth of a fistful of data's.
2: As the shadows lengthen, my partner and me know it's about time for us to ride off into the sunset. But before we do, we have some questions that we have to uh, ask about the episode, A Fistful of Datas. You know, questions about the messages, morals, and meanings, and also uh, whether this whole episode holds up. And as usual, John, we start with that question. Uh, Does A Fistful of Datas hold up as far as you're concerned? Hmm. So... (laughs) You know, Ken. I'm sorry. I love that you like, 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 you didn't know I was going to ask. I love that. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's yeah. an interesting question. One I hadn't anticipated.
0: <laughs> so there are some episodes mm-hmm. of Star Trek where mm-hmm. we're just supposed to have fun. Yep. And don't look too deeply, and don't take it too seriously. Just have fun and enjoy it. Yep. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to Mission Log then you know that we're not a review show, that we're a discussion show about (laughs) topics raised by Star Trek. And not every episode has deep topics, and some of those are more enjoyable than others. You know, some that don't have deep topics have very enjoyable stories, and some that maybe do have deep topics don't Mm -hmm. have really enjoyable stories. But fine, you know, we kind of average out somewhere in the middle. But here's the other thing. Just because something is enjoyable doesn't mean that it's off the hook. So there are action movies that are full of explosions that also have great characters and ways to elevate the experience. There are romantic movies that aren't just the same old obvious cliche story with two-dimensional characters. And there are Star Trek episodes that are light fun or romps in the holodeck that are far better than this.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, look, I I have no problem with the holodeck, though it's still weird in an existential way Mm -hmm. uh, because we think the computer is alive and manipulating people. Um, I have no problem with an episode that is fun and light. And I have no problem with a stylistic homage because I I always thought that Star Trek was a flexible enough format to plug other types of storytelling into. Mm we have seen that happen before. I have a problem with this episode since it never allowed me to become invested in the characters or the action even if they were having the time of their lives Mm -hmm. so the characters were enjoying well at least deanna was enjoying it alexander was enjoying it Worf kind of grudgingly accepted that he was enjoying it then when things became really difficult it should have been you know, the, those stakes should have been raised and I should have felt that they were really in danger, but I never felt that either. Um, and I understand that the actors playing the characters were having a good time because they got to go do something fun. Yeah, they, they got to use different sets, put on different costumes and play up these big characters, especially Brent Spiner. So I get that. But just because they're having fun doesn't mean that I'm having fun with it. Um, yeah, I, I can't say that this episode holds up. And, and I know that there are people who love this episode. Mm-hmm. And you can love Brent Spiner's performance, and you can love uh, the, the change of pace, and you can just love a good old-fashioned holodeck
2: episode. But there are better holodeck episodes than this. Can I, I ask you a question? Sure. If you knew that there were seven more seasons of Next Gen, Mm-hmm. Would you be kinder to this episode? Because mm. I find the problem that I have with it is mm. I know now that we're running out of time with these characters. And right. and so I begin to feel like these episodes um, are are wasting the, the chance that we have to explore these particular themes with these particular people. Now, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but I know there's at least one more season of another Star Trek episode, another Star Trek story. Uh, may, yeah. Maybe even two. Who can say? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so I know there's going to be plenty of chance to sort of explore these things more in the Star Trek universe. But we we can actually we're well under a hundred times. We might even be we might even be under fifty times to see Data. Now we might be under fifty yeah. times now to see Picard. Yeah, we're, we might be under fifty times to see all of these characters. And so right. then when something like this lands on the table. I'm kind of like, okay, like if this had been season two, it would have been a tour de force. And and no, yeah, it wouldn't have said yeah. anything, but it would have been amazing because the storytelling is really good. Or the yeah, storytelling okay. The acting is really <laughs> good. The sets are really good. The, you know, the costume is really good. The, the the getting to see the characters play with different things is really good. But, but I'm running out of time here with these characters in general.
0: Well, I, I don't know if that would affect my feelings about it at all. I mean... Mm. We, we, when we met Moriarty, mm-hmm. that was a holodeck episode that really changed things and that made you actually contemplate what's going on with that holodeck character. In The Big Goodbye, mm-hmm. we again, an early episode, stylistically fantastic, but there were moments that made you really ask what was going on here. Yeah, And in this, it's just sort of like, oh, it's a computer glitch. Oh, they're in the holodeck. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and there um, really is it, no
2: – I mean, they are in danger, but there's never any sort of consideration of what they're doing and why. Right. I mean, it would have been very strange to have, you know, Worf or Deanna say, um, these violent – what is it?
0: Oh, uh, these violent delights bring violent ends. Yeah. yeah.
2: That would have been a weird thing yeah. to say, but it might have been kind of interesting to have them go, you know – we had all kinds of things from which to choose, and we chose, you know, yeah. life or death. Right. Why didn't we choose Idyllic Park? I mean, right. you know, it's honestly, Barkley may be onto something. He goes and you know, he goes to a, a Rococo yeah. painting every time he gets a chance to go on the, holiday, which <laughs> right. is, you know, kind right. of a neat thing to see. Um, I will say, I don't want to discount. I am not a fan of every one of Brent Spiner's performances in this. I am mm-hmm. a huge fan of his Frank Hollander. I found oh, like, yes, like yes. knowing how the episode's gonna end, knowing that nothing bad is gonna happen to anybody, I mm-hmm. found Frank Hollander um menacing. Like truly. Yeah. He he kinda he kinda creeped me out. Now maybe it's because he's data but with a mustache and with the hat and acting completely different. But like, you know, when data starts to get the old West vibe going on the Enterprise, it's too over the top. Um when mm-hmm. when data's playing Eli it's Mm. way too over the top i've never actually understood that in westerns it's the same sort of thing right you always have the the very upstanding patriarch and then the the hayseed sounding son i don't know why that is (laughs) but i mean and i I know brent spiner of course has to imitate the guy who was originally playing eli and they have to give him a distinctive sound so it's not just brent spiner talking to brent spiner it feels like it's two different characters
0: it's funny do you remember brent on night court as uh, bob wheeler i do not oh my gosh all right so you and everybody else look it up on youtube um he would do this character as a recurring character bob wheeler who is this sort of hayseed and it's that accent
2: mm-hmm. that he's doing and it's really funny it's too much you i think you as a yeah. southerner really appreciate the fact yes there are people who sound like that but sure. you know, that tends to be one of maybe two southern accents that you get on oh, television yeah, you oh, get, yeah. Uh, yeah. julianne sugar baker yeah. <laughs> or 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 you get um, you know, Cletus the slack John Yokel. Um Brent Spiner's performance as uh, Frank Hollander was great, I thought. And there are cute yeah. little performance parts as well. Like like honestly, I, I made mention of it earlier. What happens between Beverly and Picard is beautiful. Like Picard's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I I couldn't possibly and Beverly's like, Of course you couldn't. And Picard's like Right. Yeah, I I, I couldn't <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, right. it's a nice little exchange. So, I mean, it's not—it's not a poorly. Would you say it's not a poorly executed episode? It's just you hate the story.
0: Uh, yes. Okay, it is a well executed episode. Yeah,
2: yeah I was actually um, surprised because I remember thinking that the last time that we mentioned Patrick Stewart directing, it felt really clunky. Yeah, and this didn't feel clunky at all. This actually—I think there was one scene that I was like, eh. But I mean, like, it actually felt like it was well, it was a well executed episode. So I was glad to see that.
0: Well, but, but you know what, it, from a directing and production end, yes, but here's the thing with the script. Mm-hmm. So you and I have watched enough Next Generation over the last couple of years and every single week and multiple times a week mm-hmm. that you can pretty much set your watch by the dramatic beats that occur right before a commercial break. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, an episode will uh, will come along and something will just sort of happen and fizzle out leading into the opening credits or, or leading into a commercial break. And, and you notice it because you say, wow, that, that's weird. That didn't seem like a dramatic moment.
2: Like when Riker fell asleep in schisms.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Schisms. Um, <laughs> but in, uh, in this episode, I felt that almost in every act. Where, yes, there was the manufactured drama within the holodeck, but because I wasn't invested in it, it felt like every time we went to commercial, it was sort of like, well, here's another thing that's going to happen, but we have to take a break. Right. (laughs) So the pacing felt really bad to me, even though, yeah, perfectly well acted, perfectly well directed. It just sort of felt flat.
2: Yeah. Um, well, we did find things to talk about in it. Do you feel like there was a message in this episode?
0: Uh, that Brent Spiner is an engaging and versatile actor.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, and that Patrick Stewart is improving as a director. Perhaps
0: yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, this is not a message episode. No, nope. and again, that's okay. Yep, you know, it might be our job to find messages in Star Trek, but every now and then, an episode doesn't have a message. That's perfectly all right. So then we default to whether or not we enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. And yeah there are parts of this episode that I was sort of like oh okay well that's pleasant but yeah overall mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll be watching uh I don't know that I'll be watching it again anytime soon
0: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek.fm, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and
2: discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, for a few datas more. Not really, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Quality of life, next week on Mission Log.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp11, online at warp11.com, and from the album messages by Key Theory, free to download at k.i.theory.com. Wait! It is over? Where was Bullock? Where was Woo? Where was Calamity Jane? Worst Deadwood ever and transmission.